You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Out of structure. Let's do it. We have time to run walls. If it's first and ten, walls. Any down and distance, I don't care. The game is over, and the Chiefs' kingdom has firmly planted its flag on top of football's highest summit. And Chiefs' kingdom, get ready to welcome your champions. Welcome, Chiefs' kingdom, to another edition of the Out of Structure podcast on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. Here on a Victory Tuesday edition, after the Chiefs racked up Back to back to back to back to back to back to back division titles with this win over the Houston Texans. So, Ron, how are you feeling today? Is there anything to complain about in Chiefs Kingdom? I don't know, Stags, man. I'm coming in guns a-blazing. You can bank on a good show today. Because even if the Chiefs tried to rob us of a comfortable win on Sunday, it was it, it was a good day. You just had an AFC West champs, man. I'm I'm fired up. Is that a, is that the last pun? I don't know if that's a good pun. Fired up. Thanks, Rod. I was going to interrupt there, but I didn't want to hold you up. So yeah, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> hey, that was a, uh, those are dad jokes right there. Those are those are dad jokes. I'm not a dad Man. yet, but uh, they, fascinating I, I got the dad news jokes from the Chiefs Kingdom on Twitter, uh, trending for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> uh, but we're going to try to focus on this quite interesting victory over the Houston Texans which actually reminds me a lot of the Chiefs' victory over the Denver Broncos uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, Chiefs went 30-24 to 24 in overtime uh, against the league's worst team, at least from a record standpoint, but kind of a feisty opponent in the, in the Houston Texans. Yeah, no, I, I, they almost took, they almost beat Dallas. I mean, they were one yard away from taking a two-possession lead on Dallas the week before and, and putting them away, although Dallas loses to Jacksonville this week, so maybe that's not the greatest uh, way to put that, but no, man, it's, it's, it's late season football. You know, it, the chiefs won it. Um, but the, the only difference in this game compared to the Denver game stags, I would say is, is this one, it was never that comfortable. You know, the Denver game, we all thought it was over through the two quarters. This game, we had to scratch, scratch and claw the entire 60 minutes plus, I guess in overtime, 70 minutes, I should say. So uh, yeah, that's, that's the main difference is this one was a little less comfortable at any point. I got to tell you, though, I still didn't have a lot of fear that the Chiefs were going to lose this game because, once again, you're facing a quarterback that just had – just really didn't have a whole lot for him. I mean, yeah, the, the you know, they put up a couple points against the Chiefs' defense, but I didn't have the sense that this was the type of team or quarterback that were going to you know, run the Chiefs out of the building if it got close – I uh, still have more confidence in Patrick Mahomes for some reason than the combination of uh, Davis Mills and Jeff Driscoll. Yeah, but that combination, man, took them, you know, got to 24 points, which, you know, is probably some of the most they've scored the Texans this year. And I think we said the same thing about Denver last last week is that that was some of the most they've scored as well. 
Um, but it, it really did feel like more of a, a crapshoot game than it was, especially on offense. I know they had the turnovers, but, you know, they start with the two punts and it just kind of feels gross because they didn't even get a third possession until the second quarter. And Pacheco didn't get any carries through those first two, uh, two, two possessions. But after that, man, you know, Mahomes was was nearly flawless. You know, he had only five incompletions, had the you know largest completion percentage of a game for any quarterback in NFL history with 40 plus attempts. You know, I, he, he had some great throws. He, he missed MVS on the first drive. And if he would have hit that, man, I, you know, his box score looks even crazier. So it, it, the, the on the offensive side, the and, and this is where it's similar to Denver, right, where it was a great game outside of dumb turnovers that really made this game closer than it needed to be. Absolutely. I felt like after the first touchdown, I was like, all right, here they go. You, you know, like you said, they started right. slow, uh, but then they have a seven play 75 yard touchdown drive, you know, and, and it was a Jarek McKinnon pass, you know, to, to score there. I fe- and then they forced a, a, you know, they forced a punt on the play on the drive right after that. And you felt like, all right, this team's off to the races. It's seven to seven. Chiefs have the ball back. Everything is is going to be a okay. And then the first play of that drive, uh, Pacheco's really bizarre fumble. Yeah, no, uh, Pacheco. You know he's had a few fumbles this year. You know, and that's you know young backs. I guess we've seen it on this team a little, a few too many times. But uh, no, it's it's just part of of the reason. You know, this team this year. Uh, you know, where where it can be frustrating at times is just these turnovers where. You know, the offense, you know, they need to be carrying this team. And when you turn the ball over and you and you rely too much on this defense, you know, it's going to make them look, look worse than it is. And we'll get into that more. But, you know, it's just a trend that I'm not a huge fan of. Uh, and the turnover differential, again, it's at negative, I guess, yeah, it's at negative five this week, I believe, with actually might have gotten worse, right? Because we have two turnovers with one. Might be negative six now, which is even worse um, for the season. Uh, yeah, it's it's just – it's. You don't like to see that. Andy Reid teams never have a negative turn- turnover differential, and both sides of the ball get some blame. But again, I you know we'll we'll talk about it more where where the real uh, you know the primary blame I guess goes on that. Yeah, the Chiefs sitting at negative six. Um, only the Colts and Saints are worse. Somehow, inexplicably, Ooh. they're both negative twelve on the season. Um, that Colts team that beat the Chiefs earlier the year, uh, as as we all love to be reminded of. I know, no, that turnover differential, man. I'm I'm telling you, that's that's one of the main things that really worries me um, about this team, and it's been a trend, right? I, I just feel like ball security is, is something that that kind of is a momentum thing. You know, you're 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 kind of taking care of the ball, you know, in a, in a good stretch of time, or you're not taking care of the ball in a good stretch of time. Like it's it kind of the snowball keeps rolling, right? You got to stop the snowball from rolling, and. Uh, these last few games, man, I don't know. It, it's it's just kind of weird to see him. You know, this game wasn't on Mahomes. It was on the, the fumbles. But either way, the offense is putting the ball on the ground way too much. Let's talk a little bit about the defense because there's been a huge amount of conversation amongst Chiefs fans. I see a lot of fire Spagnolo talk once again this week. Uh, a lot of frustration on the defensive side of the ball. Where do you come out on the defensive performance this week? Well, this week specifically, you know, you'd like to see them shut down a team with Davis Mills and, and, and Jeff Driscoll. And that's where maybe we can start here is that, you know, I, I look at this defense and I, and I think of, you know, if they can be good enough, you know, to go down and, and, and win the Super Bowl. And, you know, in years past, you, you, you look at the units under Steve Spagnuolo and you see these, these, these stretches, whether it's in November, December, at some point they show kind of, they kind of show you that they can do it, that they can shut down a team when they need to, that they can hold a team to 10, 13 points, even less than that. At times last year, you know, I the Dallas game always uh, jumps out in my mind. But 
There was low scoring games around that too. And you come to this year and again, the defense is kind of in, you know, does it in similar fashion, but you look at the scoreboard at the end of the game and, and especially these last three games, you see 27, 28, 24, you know, they got to those scores in different ways, but in speech, like Noah talks about this all the time in his press conferences, the scoreboard is what he cares about, right? The, the point total is what he cares about. He doesn't care about yards. He doesn't care about, you know, any, you know, the sacks or anything really. I mean, obviously that's what he tells the media, but when he's, when he's talking to the public, his main thing, his main goal is to keep the other team from scoring points. And it just seems like this year we're not seeing that ability to just keep teams down. And I do think the Chiefs, the, the turnover differential is a key part of that. I just talked about how the offense is doing too many turnovers. Well, to have this big of a flip from last year being plus five or plus four, I believe, plus five, I think it was, to now being negative six, that's an 11 turnover differential change. To have that much of a flip, it's both sides of the ball. And I do think a lot of what is going on is the defense not forcing enough turnovers. And we talked about it a little bit last week, right? We talked about the safety is not being playmakers enough, but it's the whole unit. It starts with the pass rush, not, get, not creating enough pressure and creating enough quarterback hits or strip sacks or, you know, just, you know, game uh, drive ending sacks, right? It's the linebackers not being enough playmakers. You know, we saw Willie Gay last year. He was getting in front of passes all the time. He was getting pass deflections, picks. Where is that at this year? We don't see it. Apparently, they like Darius Harris in some spots over him, which, you know, is a whole nother, you know, we actually have a question about that. But and then the back end is, is, is what I talked about with the safeties. You know, I think the corners are actually playing pretty well, but the difference this year is the safeties. So all that to say, this defense isn't that different from years past. And that's where at first I want to say, OK, this defense can do it. We've seen them be good enough in the past to get to the Super Bowl. But the difference and the one thing I'm starting to worry about is not creating enough turnovers. And if they can flip that switch, I think that could be the difference. And I think I'll, I'll feel a lot more confident. But until they flip that switch, and I don't know if they even can, it, that's, I feel like could be the difference between a win or a loss in the postseason. Yeah, when it comes to the postseason, you're expecting to face better quarterbacks, better offenses. And you might have some more shootout-type games where the defense just needs to get right two to three drives where they stop the other team, right? Like you, you expect a Bills Chiefs game, each team to get over 30 points and for the defense to really, at the end of the day, you need, you need one stop, you know, you need one stop to get it done. I'm not sure yet that I have the confidence that on that game winning drive, the Chiefs are going to be able to step up and stop a team. But if you look drive by drive, and I did this last week, and I feel the same way this week as I did last week, on a drive by drive basis, the Chiefs had you know multiple three and outs forced. They had other several drives that ended in in less than ten or even zero yards by the uh, opposing offense. Most of the scoring drives were assisted by turnovers. So you had, if you look at the flow of this game, they had a four and out, a three and out, a one touchdown drive that was uh, aided. Uh, by a pass interference call. Then you had another punt forced, and then you had the short field touchdown. Then they forced a punt on five plays. They forced a three and out right after that, and then a touchdown on a, on a short field after a turnover. So I feel like, you know, without going drive by drive through the entire game, so the, you'd hope that the defense could step up whenever there's been a turnover and they could, they could get a stop. But it, that doesn't seem to be happening. And then, yeah, when it comes down to the, the game-winning drives, this week, you saw what you want to see. They forced a turnover. They set up the game-winning play, and the offense took advantage of it. That's what you want to see going forward for this team. 
I don't think you can expect them to be the number one t- defense in the league. I don't think you can expect them to be elite in forcing turnovers. I think going forward, what you want to see is them continue forcing a handful of th- three and outs in a game and then make a play on that on that drive down the stretch. That's a formula that this defense can win with. They're not going to be a you know complete shutdown defense. They might not even be a bend don't break defense. Uh, they right. they might just need to be clutch. No, that's what I've always said. Right? Is, is, is that's what I've always said? Is the volatility to me is actually a good thing with this offense. You don't want a bend or break don't break defense. And I think there is some misconception with that. I don't necessarily think Spags is a bend don't break type of player type of coach. I think a lot of the things you're seeing this year that maybe seem like more bender break style is because he has a lot of young guys in his secondary and a lot of young guys is trying to protect with how he's calling the plays. So, but in his mind and, and where he wants to be, he wants to be that wild card, that chaos creator that, you know, sending the blitz at weird times and kind of all out blitzing when maybe you shouldn't be and, and, and kind of forcing the quarterback to make a throw. That's who he wants to be. And, and that's where, who he'll be. I think or that's who I hope he will be in the postseason because that's, that's, I think what you're just saying, right. Is being clutched that that's where it comes you know, making a big play because you you blitzed the guy when they weren't expecting it or, you know, disguising a coverage and then dropping into another one and confusing the quarterback. And, you know, that's that's the stuff he can do. And it just seems like, you know, this that's something I think he may be uh, kind of holding back a little bit, although I don't want to say too much because um, I do think – I don't think he's holding back much, I should say. I just think maybe he could be a little more, uh, you know, um, hectic, you know, in the postseason when he wants to be. But that's where I think it does come down to the players. And, and maybe – you know, this is a question we can get into right here about this specific game stacks. And I'll ask you from Thomas Ramirez, what was more disappointing on the defensive side, the lack of pass rush or the penalties they got? Because I, you know, I, I the penalties you can say is an, is a, you know, an execution thing by the players, the pass rush you can say is an execution thing. Um, but what did you come out with more disappointed about in this game specifically? Well, it's hundred percent the penalties and I, I'm not blaming the refs. I'm going to start right there. This is this is one of those games where you come out of it saying it was ridiculously lopsided on on the penalties, and the penalties were in key, you know, third downs throughout the defensive drives. Uh, when they gave up touchdowns, when they gave up field goals, the only time this this defense gave up any points this week, other than that seventeen uh, yard touchdown after the fumble. The only time they gave up points is when they had penalties on third down. Right. So they had stops, they made stops, and then they couldn't get off the field because of penalties. So whether that's a discipline issue for this defense and combine that with a crew that just apparently cannot help themselves uh, when it comes to throwing penalties, and then you've got a recipe for extending drives. And, and to me – it was as simple as that on the defensive side of the ball. I think the pass rush is getting a little bit underrated at this point. They're not putting up crazy stats. Um, and sure, you can always point to several plays where they didn't get enough pressure uh, when when you would like to see it. But they are getting pressure, you know, at times. They are putting up, you know, from a season perspective, just – Historical context, they're, they're putting up more pressures, more sacks than they have in recent years. I, I think just watching the game, I feel like there's enough times where they get good pass rush that I'm not 
in a panic about the pass rush uh, inadequacy. I just feel like they got to clean it up. And to your point on the defense, on the back end of things, I've heard some talk, and I think it's it's probably has some truth to it. I wonder if you've seen this on film in your reviews, that the coverage scheme on the back end has been pretty basic, pretty vanilla. Right. Um, and when you've got three rookies on the field at any given time in the secondary, there's that's probably the reason for that. Right. I still think it's an interesting comparison with previous years when you've had a lot of blown coverages, a lot of, you know, just embarrassing, you know, man, man-to-man losses in previous years to go along with those turnovers. I haven't seen much of that this year. I feel like they're, they've been, you know, in the ballpark of the receivers most of the time. And there's, and maybe some of that is related to, maybe some of the lack of turnovers is related to, the way that they're playing in the secondary from a, from a schematic standpoint. No. Yeah. I think connecting those pieces is, is the right way to look at it. Cause yeah, I, I, I mentioned that, you know, you, it feels like Spags is more bend don't break right now. And I don't think he naturally is, but you're right. I think he has rookies in his secondary and he's trying to protect them. He's not trying to go crazy with his coverage calls. He's trying to give them confidence by letting them, you know, get good at, what the base plays are, right? What the, what the normal play calls are. Right. And, and I think that is a part of it. And so maybe that dial does turn in the postseason, and maybe we're waiting for that. And maybe that's something I'm not giving him enough credit for is kind of, you know, waiting, you know, giving his rookies time to grow up and mature in the system and then really get it going creative wise when it hits the playoffs. But in terms of Thomas's question on, on the pass rush, you know, the thing is I, I came into this game kind of warning people in my five things to watch. I said it too, you know, the, the Texans do have a really good offensive line. They have two of the best offensive tackles in the NFL, um, at least duo-wise. Laramie Tunsil, the left tackle, is one of the best. And then Titus Howard is, is a good, solid right tackle as well. Each of them had only allowed one sack each going into the, in, going into the last game you know, for the season. So I did kind of I, I, I did put those out there and kind of say, hey, if there's any production from the pass rush this week, it, it shouldn't it should maybe be looked at as a good thing so that that's that's one thing i want to say on that and and chris jones was not on his game this week right yeah you know, no, he was not again there was a reported illness he he played yeah that's he, true good call he played a fair amount of snaps but really was not a factor whatsoever so if you didn't have much interior pass rush and you're relying just on the edges to get home and they had two sacks on the day it wasn't a, a banner day you know from a sack perspective but you know, having some pressure without much of it, or if any, coming from Chris Jones is, you know, notable at least. Yeah. And I mentioned the offensive tackles, right? That, yeah. They're our edge defenders are, are unfortunately some of our, you know, not as productive pass rushers and their best blockers are on the edge. So kind of a mismatch there. Unfortunately, there are, there are playoff teams with good offensive tackles. So it's not the greatest excuse in the world. But still, yeah, I, I would agree with you. Actually, I, I do think a lot, the penalties were really the more disappointing. And, and, and I'll ask Wolfpack's question here because, you know, along with penalties, uh, is it just me or does Carl Sheffers remind you of a blind date gone wrong and continues to hold a grudge that the Chiefs won't call him back? It's one yeah, way so, somebody got given a fake phone number or, you know, got, got ghosted or, you know, has been making up excuses or something. Yeah, no, that's it. I'm not going down the path of saying that the game was rigged. I don't know that he has a grudge against the Chiefs per se, but it's starting. It, it's a pattern. It's a pattern at this point yeah. for whatever the cause is. When he referees the Chiefs game, bad things happen, and way, way too many penalties get called. So, 
I, I, I don't know the cause of that, um, you know, but it's, it is a thing. And if, I will, if he's the referee for one of their playoff games, oh, I'm going to be worried. Yeah, me too. No, seriously. And, and I saw something where he actually has in the past, there have been, you know, it's, you, he, I guess you can ref a third game of a team or you're supposed to or something. I don't know, but there's something like that. So there's actually a decent chance. Um, but yeah, I, I will say, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm with you. I'm not the type to ever, you know, I, I just think sometimes refereeing is just very poor, but this was one of those, one of those games where it was like, all right, what's going on here? Like, this is one of the only times I've ever felt like it truly felt like the ref had a personal kind of vendetta. I mean, you, you mentioned it as we were in the pre-show. I mean, they were they were picking up flags because they were throwing so many. Like they want, you know, they wanted to keep if, throwing if flags they, on. If us, their I default mean, is to throw a flag on every play, especially when right. the Chiefs are on defense, if that's the default, then there's a problem. And then you know, Kansas City Star has a great uh, piece or a great um, they 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 get it from the post game that Willie Gay tells them. You know, he's kind of hearing the refs talk, and, and you know, on that fumble, the Frank Clark fumble to in overtime. You know, Willie Gay comes out with the ball, but I guess the refs were trying to still give it to Houston. So they, they were kind of saying blue ball. So that's why Willie really started jumping around and came out of the huddle and showing them the ball. So they couldn't even have a, a discussion. You know, they couldn't even say um, if it was blue ball. So I don't know, man. It, it is I, pretty a wild thing, man. Honestly, I thought there was a chance they overturned that. I, I thought there was a chance that they were going to say that the, the Texan guy uh, possessed the ball and was on the ground and being touched before – Gay reached in and, and grabbed it mm-hmm. uh, off of his crotchal region. Um, <laughs> it was I, I thought there was a decent chance that that got overturned the way that the, that game was going, but it was uh, it, it was insane. The one Thornhill illegal contact was nuts. The uh, the Jarek McKinnon block, you know, whatever that whatever that was called was, was a, a terrible call. I think yeah. there was just a number of really really questionable plays, and of course. Another drive extending 55 offsides penalty lined up in the neutral zone was was just painful. But, you know, this goes back years. This is not just a weird, fluky game this year. There's a reason that fans and pundits were worried that Sheffer's crew was was going to ref the, the Chiefs game. Uh, Super Bowl against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Same deal. The Chiefs, I think, had tw- 10, 12 penalties in that game uh, called against them. Yeah. Uh, historically, that crew has called more penalties against the Chiefs than any other team in the league, and the, for the second most uh, number of yardage. Um, he was the the ref on on the the Derek Carr uh, um, Chris Jones fumble uh, earlier mm-hmm. this year. So, like, there, there's a pattern here, a historical pattern of of really bad calls against the Chiefs. Was he on the uh, Derek Johnson forward progress call, or, or was that just a similar call? <laughs> that was not him. That was Jeff, Tri- Jeff Triplett, which That's if right. everyone if everyone remembers, it was his last NFL game ever refereeing, which is just great to hear about. You know, hey, you're you're getting an old man on his way out. You know, letting him ref a playoff game. But yeah, that was that was another thing. Before we move on, is just the forward progress thing that Houston was able to challenge with Juju Smith Schuster's fumble. The, the logic they gave, and I still haven't heard anyone kind of, you know, counter this because I've heard the explanation that, you know, the, the refs use, the NFL officiating use, but the logic they gave that the ball came out simultaneous with the hit is the exact same logic they could have used to challenge the Derek Johnson fumble in the 2017 playoffs against Marcus Mariota. So it still doesn't make sense to me. That's where I still am just, it, it just is weird, man. Like you just mentioned all this, you know, all the Shepherd stuff, the history, I just, 
it makes me a little a little weird. But maybe maybe this scenario is that Triplet didn't give us the the right. You know, he didn't allow us correctly to challenge. So maybe that's on triplet. So maybe I'm or maybe there was a rule change since then. That was a number. Right. Yeah, exactly. It it could be a lot of things. But yeah, you know, I think we've talked enough about the refs for one uh, episode. I agree. It is is not a fun topic to talk about. There's not some grand conspiracy just for for uh, for those of you out there who might be thinking that there's a a puppeteer behind the scenes, you know, making sure that the, the chiefs you know, lose or, or attempt to have the Chiefs lose. I don't believe any of that stuff. I just think it's a, a terrible officiating problem throughout the league. And these, this might be the worst crew of all. And I, I don't understand why the league is headed towards a product on the field that is hindered by this many flags. You know, I, I understand safe player safety, but when it's not a player safety issue, you got to let the team play. You got to let the game be decided on the field. And again, you saw it not just in the Chiefs game this week, but some egregious stuff in the Washington uh, game against the Giants. I think is that right this week, yeah. uh, and 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 some others. So the NFL does have an officiating problem. Uh, this might just be the, you know, the the highlight or the the top of the stack of the officiating problems in the NFL, and is this particular crew? Yep. But let's go to a couple more questions from this game. Um, actually, these are kind of both related. Uh, Paolo at Folax on Twitter asks, in fourth quarter, there seems to be no way for Coach Reed to do right, according to some fans. If they run the drain clock and score a field goal, it's not brave enough, and, and they don't use their best player. But if they pass and there are incompletions, he's a terrible clock manager. What should he do then? And just real quick before we get into that, uh, Thomas Ramirez also asks, what was crazier, Pat having an awesome game and it going unnoticed because of the defense or Andy not having the killer instinct and putting it it on Bucker to win the game? So basically just looking at Andy's late game situation, I didn't really come away thinking it was it was terrible. It was bad clock uh, management stags. I, you know, they, they got themselves in position to score at the end. You know, obviously you want to score a touchdown, but. I believe right before that field goal, uh, Mahomes was sacked, I believe, or maybe I'm, I'm mis- yeah, he was. So, you know, I mean, there's not much you can do about that um, from an, a play calling perspective. Um, I don't know, Stags, did you have any problem with how Andy kind of got to the end of the game? I'm, I mean, trusting Bucker, you know, after we have seen him miss a few, you know, he's kind of lost that clutch gene a little bit, it seems like. And I know the injury, you know, that he suffered this season could have something to do with that. But I don't know. What are your thoughts on on this? Just to clarify real quick, the the sack was actually it forced a punt in overtime. Uh, oh so yeah, third and yes. four at yes. Houston forty three yard line. Mahomes took a twelve yard sack, knocking them out of any any chance of good call uh, of continuing that drive. Uh, they punted and then subsequently got the the fumble uh, on, on the next play. It was at the end of regulation. They were relying on McKinnon a fair amount and Pacheco at that time. Uh, but it's not like they didn't throw in, in that drive. They uh, ran Pacheco the first two plays. He got six and nine yards, respectively. Then they threw to Travis Kelsey, ran Pacheco, ran McKinnon, got it to the two-minute warning, threw it to Juju. Mahomes ran it on third and four, converted on a 14-yard scramble, which was a huge play in that drive at, at the Houston 45 to keep that drive going. And then they ran it with McKinnon, lost yardage, uh Mahomes ended up scrambling for two and then they threw it to McKinnon uh, I think that was an ill-advised or poorly 
run uh, screenplay, if I mm-hmm. remember correctly, that lost yardage on third and 11. So you could you could argue that on third and 11, maybe they should have thrown the ball downfield instead of settling for a, you know, a dump off to McKinnon, which, you know, the, the uh, Texans had to be, you know, keying in my, on McKinnon at that point with less than a minute left in that game. Um, but the rest of that drive was a fairly typical four-minute mm-hmm. drill drive, uh, and and I think that's what you want. So yeah. we can nitpick on that. I do think, you know, that either on second or third down, you know, I would have liked to have seen a pass attempt down the field. But uh, if I, I feel like there was at least some pressure or some, uh, you know, some execution issues on those last two plays. So all that to say you could nitpick on one play, but otherwise – I don't have a problem with Reed's play calling there. Um, it is to this question about Pat having an awesome game going unnoticed because of the defense. Mahomes was excellent this week. I mean, yeah. uh, our one of our stats of the week here um, is the fact that you know, we talked a lot about how Mahomes only had five incompletions this entire game. Mm-hmm. So he set an NFL record for the highest completion percentage in a game uh, where he threw the ball forty plus times, uh, it was it was an elite passing uh, display by Mahomes, but also a very efficient one, and yep. one where he didn't um, didn't throw a lot of passes downfield, you know, and, and and when he did, you pointed out there was a there was an early miss to to MVS, and then there was the pass a ridiculous pass out of the end zone. Uh, there was a little bit off target that uh, uh, that we really would have liked to seen uh, Watson come down with that right. would have been a highlight real play. So there's there were some a couple of missed opportunities there deep, but the rest of the game he was deadly efficient. He was accurate. Had he really played under control, and you felt like he had total command. That's why I said I wasn't too worried about this game because the Chiefs were able to move the ball. They had 502 yards of total offense. Uh, Mahomes over 300 yards as he is just basically every single week. They were averaging 6.6 yards per play. And to the credit of the defense, they held Houston to 3.8 yards per play, 219 total yards. Uh, Houston had 125 yards passing and 94 yards rushing. Their best receiver was caught four of his nine targets for 42 yards in this (laughs) game. This was a game that was very lopsided statistically, and a great, great game by Mahomes. Uh, and statistically, not a bad game by the defense either. So, you know, I don't know that I'm uh, – which is crazier, Mahomes having an awesome game and going unnoticed uh, or Andy not having the killer instinct. I'm not I'm not sure either one of those things is, is uh, super crazy as far as I'm concerned. Um, it is just – it was a weird game in, in general, and I don't know – uh, I don't know which is weirder. <laughs> well, that's yeah. a long-winded answer to get to a non-answer. But what, what do you got, Rod? Well, yeah, I, I mean, I don't think it's crazy that Andy trusts Bucker to win it. We've seen him trust it over and over. And we've seen Bucker kick that. I mean, there's there's plenty of times in his career he's made that, and we don't even think twice about it. I mean, he it was, a, what, a 50-something yard? I think it was 51. 51. Um, and, yeah, yeah he, he, it's not just plenty of times. I feel like it's the the vast majority of times in game situations he makes those. Right, exactly. Yeah, I, mean, no, I, I can't remember more than maybe one or two others in in his entire career when the game was on the line that he missed, and most of those he came back and had another chance at it. 
And that may, be, may have been part of the logic here is that they were tied. They're clearly the better team. And so they felt like if they had to go to overtime, they were going to win anyway. Yep. So, uh, you know, run it down, kick the field goal. If you miss it, whatever, you, you, you get it in overtime. Yeah, and even on the flip side of that too, because, you know, you're a playoff team. You don't want to play any extra football, right? So you, you probably don't want to go to overtime and put any more wear and tear on, on the players' bodies. And so you do – you know, they, they settled for the field goal and they thought they'd get a little more yards with that screenplay. You know, that, that, that is a big deal, right? They thought they'd get a, f- a few more yards to, to kind of give them breathing room on that, that third down you mentioned. They didn't get a, a successful screenplay, um, but they just wanted to get out of there and they, and they trusted their kickers, made that plenty of times to make it. So I don't think that was crazy. Um, but to go back to Mahomes' game before we go to break real quick, the, 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 cool thought, the cool part about it, I thought, was that when he targeted Kelsey and Smith-Schuster, he completed all 20 targets for 193 yards. Neither of them had more than a 20 yard completion. That just, again, to your point about the efficiency, man, that guy was just him and Kelsey Smith Schuster were just on the money in, in rhythm. And, and again, 20 completions, no incompletions of those two. That's, that's a well, really cool stat. You want to expand that out. You go to McKinnon and Noah right. Gray. They each caught all their targets too. So there's 31 targets uh, amongst those top four receivers and not one incompletion to any of those four guys. Uh, it, you have to get all the way down to to MVS, who had the aforementioned miss uh, on on a deep pass before you get to anybody who didn't catch every single target from Mahomes, uh, right. MVS and Watson, uh, and then there was the one pass to Jody Fortune that didn't work. So, yeah, this was a a, a clinic on, on how to play the quarterback position. Um, Clearly should be right back up at the top of the MVP conversation if he wasn't already. Um, We've got a lot more to cover when it comes to a little bit more on this game, but a lot more on the the rest of the season and the playoff picture and even the holiday coming up. So plenty more as we get back from break. Make sure you stick with us on the Out of Structure podcast. Uh, Ron, do you have a would you rather this week? Yeah, Stags, we're getting to playoff time, and we're looking at the – and we'll talk about more of the AFC teams later, but just talking specifically cornerbacks versus wide receivers. Would you rather the Chiefs cornerbacks play the Dolphins wide receivers, Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle, or the Bengals wide receivers, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins? Tough question. We will answer it on the other side. And we're back on the Out of Structure podcast. It's Matt Stagner here with Ron Cobb Jr. Ron took us to break with a question about wide receivers versus the Chiefs corners. Which is the better matchup or which would I prefer to see Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle of the Dolphins against the Chiefs or Jamar Chase and T. Higgins uh, of the Bengals against the Chiefs in the playoffs? I'm going to go with as, as – Illogical as it may sound, I would rather see the Chiefs match up with the two fastest receivers in the NFL, <laughs> Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, um, because when you've you've seen what happens when the Bengals match up against the Chiefs, they've got these monstrous wide receivers, and maybe this is cheating a little bit, but they also have a quarterback that is uncanny in his ball placement especially when under pressure, he can throw it to those guys whether they're covered or not. And the Chiefs have been pretty solid this year. And again, not blowing coverage, but you know, being in the picture. But against the Bengals, they struggle because even when those guys are covered, they're, they're open. And he throws it to them anyway. 
they catch it anyway, and then they might drag a guy uh, a ways before they get tackled. When you watch the Dolphins play, first of all, it's a very different quarterback situation um, when it comes to accuracy and ball placement and velocity and, and all of that kind of stuff. But also, those guys catch passes when they're wide open, but they're not contested ball guys and, and you know, not bagging on Hill, but this – this week against Buffalo, there was a number of drops uh, or incompletions when they tried to throw to Hill in coverage. So if Hill's open, obviously he's just more dangerous than anybody in the NFL. I just, for some reason, feel a little more confident about the Chiefs' corners being able to hang with those guys enough to make it difficult on the quarterback uh, as opposed to the team that – you can cover them perfectly and they're still going to complete the pass anyway. No, I get that logic for sure. Cause you're right. Chase and Higgins. I mean, a lot of times we, no one was disappointed with the coverage in those games. It was just, they made the plays. Right. And, but I, I do think I, I'd rather still have those opportunities, those contested catch more opportunities than the separation that I think you could, that Hill and Waddle could get on, on these rookie cornerbacks, especially a guy like Joshua Williams, you know, someone that is used to pressing, Hard to press Waddle and Hill. I mean, you if you really get them at first, you you know, it, it may help. But if you miss at all, man, they are going to burn you. Um, and and that speed is really what, what you know, and we haven't seen it yet this year, which is, you know, if they do match up in playoffs, which we'll get to, that's where I just – I don't think they'll be used to that speed and it'll and it, and it could be – it could lead to some really big game-changing plays I could see. So the quarterback thing, though, is, is the big deal because I'd, I'd way rather see Tua than Joe Burrow. I think there's no question about that. Absolutely. Well, we have a million questions from Twitter, it seems like, this week. I uh, really appreciate you all submitting questions. There's some great ones. So let's just get right into these. Uh, MVP Pat, or MV Pat, sorry, at MVP at Mahomes <laughs> on Twitter. I'm, I'm totally botching this, uh, this screen name here. Uh, MV Pat Mahomes on Twitter. Have you seen the Dustin Colquitt comments regarding the kicking game? Uh, there was a compilation of Buckers misses. Uh, the ball's all over the place. It seems like but Colquitt may be on to something. How are the coaches not catching this? Uh, to rephrase that, what the hell is Dave Tobe doing as a coach? Rusty Shackelford at uh, Get Off the Shed has a, a similar question. Is it really Tommy's fault? And then Phil, a uh, similar question about do we need a new holder? So what do you think of the, the uh, off-field battle uh, of the punters? <laughs> Man, what a weird week in Chiefs Kingdom. We got punter battles. We got wolf guys robbing banks. Um, but but Dustin Colquitt <laughs> here. I'll, yeah, I, I will. Uh, I'll give the context here on on Col Colquitt's comments. Um, yesterday on Twitter, Monday I should say on Twitter. Actually Sunday, Sunday night on Twitter, he said he's an exceptional punter. Talking about Townsend. If you look back at the holds on the extra point, the laces are facing the sidelines, and on the fit, missed fifty plus yarder. He pulled the ball to him at the last second and forced the ball to go to the right. He's been missing the spot all year, which that is insane to, to hear from someone outside the building. Former player, too, has been in that locker room. Tommy did take his job. Dustin did punt after the Chiefs, if everyone remembers. It's not like Dustin just retired. Um, and and Tom, they did pick Tommy over Dustin, so there's some bad blood there. Well, then, this morning, uh, you know, we're recording on Tuesday morning. He goes on 8-10 and 810 sports radio here in kansas city and he price carter and our and our uh our, filled me in on this in slack tells us 
he told on 810, he said he called Tommy a smart aleck and said Dustin or and Dustin tried to help him when he was brought back and it fell on deaf ears. So Colquitt is publicly going after Townsend pretty much. I mean, there's no other really way to put it. You don't say all these things if you're not trying to, you know, publicly, you know, you can have these conversations in private, but I mean, to, to tweet it out, to go on live radio. I mean, this is a big deal. And, and so I'm not a special teams ex- expert. I'm actually going to probably trust the guy that held and punted for 20 plus years in the NFL. I do think there's probably something to this and that the Chiefs just what are they going to do right now? What you going to make a move at holder in the middle of the season? Um, Stags, I don't know. Where do you come out on this punter drama? I mean, I, I kind of think Colquitt's probably got a point. It's just what are we going to do about it? Yeah, I, I think there is something to that. And I don't know. I was just thinking, do you think the holder has some role in aiming other than just like, or is the holder's job to be precise and have the ball perfectly upright in the exact same spot it's supposed to be with the laces towards the, the goalpost? Or is there some adjustment where it's like, oh, the wind is this way, so I'm going to tilt the ball a little bit that way? That's a good I don't point. know that. My assumption is everything has to be precise and perfect from the long snap to the catch to the hold to the placement. It should all be perfect, and any adjustment should be on the kicker. Uh, to kick it in, in the way that they want to. I, I don't have the absolute answer there, but going on that assumption that the job of the holder is to make everything perfect for the kicker and let the kicker do his thing from there, it's pretty easy to see that a lot of those misses this year have been inconsistent placement uh, of the football. So there's there's unless there's something we don't know about the job of the holder to, to make adjustments or, or – uh, some preference, you know, on the field. Yeah, my assumption is that that Townsend hasn't been uh, holding in in the perfect way. I think this was an issue last year, and we did talk about it last year. So I think there's been some challenges in in that in that setup. There's been, you know, for the most part, the snaps have been good. Occasionally, there's a high snap here and there, and he's got to wrangle it, and he does a decent job of that. But is there a um, is unless there's something we don't know. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of fault there for a time in town. No, that's a really good point. You know, we don't know. And I'm sure Dustin would probably know if there's adjustments being made like that and probably wouldn't go after him publicly if if uh, if, if he thought there was a case of that. But I think you're right. I, I do think, you know, there's stuff we don't know. You know, maybe Harrison's telling him, hey, you know, I want to maybe have the ball this certain way on this kick or something. You You don't – we don't know. But it is fascinating that that Dustin is is really going after him. And 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 hey, Carl Sheffers, we talked about bad blood, man. There's just probably some bad blood there, you know. I think Dustin's probably just a little maybe salty with with what you know how he got his job taken, and he's obviously still a prominent part of Chiefs Kingdom. He lives here and 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 you know is on eight ten sometimes. So I think you know I think we're just seeing a little saltiness. That's all from the vet. Yeah, I, I think it's probably a little bit of that, and and it sounds like there was some personality clash maybe between those two when he was in the building. Um, you know, as far as trying to give pointers and him not taking them and things like that. So I'll, you know, I'm sure there's some history there that goes into that. But generally, you don't see a lot of NFL players calling out things on, like former players calling out things on the field. Right. That are, that are dramatically inaccurate. You know, you see this from Mitchell Swartz all the time. Right. Swartz will, you know, see a play and kind of, correct the fan base on hey you guys are complaining about this but you're missing the point here's what's supposed to happen on that play he did his job he didn't do his job and be pretty honest about it i don't see a lot of players 
really going out of their way to mischaracterize something that's happening on the field. So my guess is that the observations are correct. Colco yeah. was an exceptional holder and, and had a, a reputation for being an exceptional holder. Uh, so he probably knows exactly how it's supposed to be done. And when he sees it even a little bit off, he it's probably quite frustrating for him to watch from the outside. Uh, so I believe in his analysis and I believe that he, that in most scenarios, he probably would let that go. But if there's some history between those two, that may have prompted him to speak out where he otherwise would have not said anything. So, yeah. uh, you know, again, of all the topics for us to spend time on uh, referees, uh, bank robberies and, and, and the holder in the, uh, uh, the punter battle here, uh, there's a lot of other big picture things we should probably, probably yes. be focusing <laughs> on. So how about Patrick Mahomes zone? asking how is the defense going to get better? I think that's just a good question for, for here forward. I've heard some other Chiefs analysts saying it's not. This is what you get. Um, do you believe this is as good as this defense is going to be? Or if not, what ways do they have in their bag to improve? Well, we talked about it at the beginning of the show, so I, I do feel like I might be repeating myself a little bit, so I'll keep it short. I really do think it comes down to turnovers. I think it comes down to making plays that cause the ball to come, you know, to turn over and go to the offensive side of the ball, right? I, I really do think it comes down to that. You're not seeing enough of it. You know, I mentioned the, the, the off-ball playmakers not doing enough. You know, Willie Gay, I thought was going to be this, this, this interception guy this year and, and really make plays, and he hasn't really been, and and actually, just to real quick bring in that, bring in the Drew HDZ question. He says, "I well, it's not even a question. He says, I don't like them rotating Harrison for gay or rotating cornerbacks either because I think it messes up communication. We saw that they brought in Harris for a third down snap in the red zone uh, against Houston, and he blows the coverage and, and uh, allows a touchdown. I don't, Spags said that was because Harris earned playing time and he wants to get him more snaps before the playoffs just in case anything happens. That's what he Excuse that as I think uh, last week of the week before, but I don't like that. <laughs> Willie Gay is your is maybe one of your best playmakers, maybe the best playmaker you have now on, on off ball defenders. So he needs to be in the game at all times. I think that's one of the just the main things: just make more plays, create more turnovers. I think if the defense can do that, I think they can be good enough. But if they don't, if they don't flip that switch at all this season, I do think it may not be good enough to to go all the way. I, I think they do need to start creating more turnovers than they have. Uh, the entirety of this season. Yeah. And other things we mentioned, there might still be some levers they can pull as far as mixing up coverages. As those rookies get more comfortable in the secondary, there may be some different wrinkles they can throw at quarterbacks just to make it a little bit right. more difficult. Uh, anything you can do to confuse a quarterback, obviously you're going to get more turnovers because they're going to throw into coverage that they didn't see coming, but they may also just cause them to hold the ball a beat longer which allows right. your pass rush to get home, which which causes more big plays and turnovers as well. So um, maybe there's some adjustments in the coverage scheme that they're going to make that they've just been easing in because of the youth of the secondary. I agree. I don't see any reason for Harris to be on the field unless Willie Gay is tired or injured. Um, and, and even then, maybe there's a different combination you can use <laughs> that, that might be more impactful. I've seen some fun ideas about Leo Chanel becoming a uh, edge rusher. Uh, you know, he, for to his credit, has started to get more involved in more of a positive way. I think I've noticed him on the field in a positive way over the last couple of weeks uh, where earlier in the season, I either didn't notice him at all 
or I, I saw some plays that um, you know he, he he didn't make. So he might be becoming, becoming more comfortable, which gives them another uh, option at linebacker and somebody else to mix in. And then finally, I just think getting the, the defensive line rotation on the interior side, uh, getting to Jake's question here, Colin Saunders, uh, at Jake Wilson, at Jake for now, asked, is Colin Saunders the most improved player on the Chiefs? I'm not so sure at this point. I think there was a time in this season where we would have said yes to that question for sure. Um, there, we might be seeing some some holes in his game that are starting to hurt the team a little bit. I really like what I've seen from Brandon Williams so far and having yeah. him and Chris Jones playing at their peak on the interior of this defense could be the thing that makes a difference going down the stretch because your edge rushers are all playing decent football. And if, and if you get Jones at his peak and you've got Williams as the immovable force in, in the middle, that's actually contributed to a sack and two career starts for the chiefs already. Um, maybe you've got something there on the, on the defensive line. So that was a lot, but go ahead, Ron. Yeah. Decent is doing a lot of work for you on the defensive ends, the edge rushers performance. I mean, I, I, I think decent is probably the high end of what you're getting from them. So I, I, I probably wouldn't disagree with you there, but the Colin Saunders thing, he is improved, right? He has improved over seasons past, but it's starting to feel like maybe he's just improved in playing time and, and maybe, you know, not much else because, one thing this team is really missing, and, and the Bengals game was when it really became apparent, and you've seen the, the, the other teams do it as well, is teams are just selling out the double-team Chris Jones. They're not even thinking about, hey, you know, the center might, you know, depending on where Chris Jones lines up, the center has to go another way, and, and, and you just, good luck, guard. You're going to have to do it one-on-one. They are just selling out to put everyone else on the line in one-on-one situations. And one thing about Colin Saunders compared to T- Turk Wharton you saw Turk Wharton get pressures and get sacks in years past, beating those guards one-on-one as that, that second guy across from Chris Jones. We're not seeing that same impact from the second defensive tackle. It's actually a lot of it, been a lot of Mike Dana in those pass-down situations over Colin Saunders, but even when Saunders does get that nod, we're not seeing enough of either of them uh, from either of them um, to, to really make the pass rush better. And, and, and if we can get better at that second interior spot, along with turnovers, I think that could be a key difference in improving the pass rush. Is, is if someone can beat those guards one-on-one and, and force centers to give more help to that side rather than just leave them alone, uh, you know, automatically. So that uh, that's a big part of this too, I think. Yeah, I think Williams in just the brute strength and his he, – he forces double teams because he's yeah. such a monster there. I, I think if you start getting Chris Jones, you know, a little bit more free or, you know, right. if they, they – because they can't really double both interior guys without – letting a, the, the ends just completely uh, have a field day. So there's – you got to give them – force them into tough decisions there. And I don't think Colin Saunders takes up a lot of double teams. Um, he's right. kind of an odd mix of a penetrating defensive tackle that maybe doesn't have a ton of pass rush juice. So it's kind of a, a weird place for him. He's not it he's is. not going to be your nose tackle. Um, you know, he, he's really – he's really a three-tech, right? He's really a – yeah. Um, you know, but but yeah, they, Jones, right? And, and exactly that's the problem is that he is more of a penetrating three tech guy, and that's what you need to have when you're one on one with a guard in a pass pro block or pass uh rush situation. And it's not getting it done enough, uh, for a guy that should, like you said, be a penetrating three tech kind of player. Well, let's move on to the offensive side of the football, uh, staying in the trenches with Ruben M's question. 
Do you agree the only way to significantly improve the left tackle position is to trade for Laramie Tunzel? Uh, and then the, the follow-up question from the Schwinner at Schwinjack on Twitter, uh, does the KC O-line stink? Now I'll start with Jack's question. I, you know, I, I would think the opposite, you know, I not stink, you know, stink is definitely not the, the word I would use if you want to be negative. I mean, I think there are negative things to, to talk about. And one of them is the left tackle position in pass protection and the right tackle as well. But overall, I think this offensive line is gelling. I, I do think, you know, the uh, one of the sacks that really uh, forced the Chiefs in a bad spot earlier in this game was completely on Pacheco. The offensive line actually did their job very well. And Pacheco completely whiffed, or he didn't whiff, I guess he just forgot to pick up the guy in blitz protection until right after it happened. And he gets very mad at himself, which is good to see. At least he knows it was his, his own fault. But no, I, I, I do think the offensive line is gelling uh, to an extent, especially in the run game. It's why you're seeing Pacheco have 60 plus yards in like six straight games. Now he's averaged uh, nearly five yards. And I think almost every game, except for one or two in that stretch, the offensive line is really gelling in the run game. Pass protection wise, getting the three guys in the interior healthy and playing together has really helped. The offensive tackles, yes, still need to be better. And, yeah, Laramie Tunsil would be a great addition, would be an, an obvious upgrade over Orlando Brown because he is one of the best left tackles in the NFL, rightfully paid as such. But it would take a lot to trade for him. You'd be paying him a lot of money too. And uh, it's not the only way. It'd be a great way to significantly improve. But there's other guys you can trade for. There's even other guys potentially on the free agent market. Although there are, there, it's a lot of right tackles in the free agent market, I will say. Not a lot yeah. of left tackles. I, I'm trying to prepare other Chiefs fans for this potential um, difference in the way that we see this position uh, mm. as compared to the way the team might feel about it. I think that there's entirely a realistic chance that the Chiefs still feel like Orlando Brown is their future at left tackle, is their guy, Struggles or no struggles, I think there's a chance they still sign him to a long-term deal and or franchise him and keep him for at least for another year. He, There's a really good chance I think he's back. Whatever we think about that situation, uh, they might not really be in the market for a new left tackle this offseason, maybe the following offseason. Uh, but I think just prepare yourselves for the chance that we may be we may be complaining about something that the team doesn't see in the same way similarly yeah. with Andrew Wiley, I think uh, we are certainly lower on him than the team. I do think that there's a chance that Lucas Niang is still going to have some sort of a future there at right tackle. Um, the improvements from this offensive line from here to the end of the season really have to come from the, those guys playing better Wiley and, and Brown, the interior is playing well. Uh, they're starting to run the ball. Well, it, it's really just going to be, are they playing better? Are they getting enough help? But going forward into the offseason, don't be surprised if this is not the number one position that this team addresses in the offseason, whatever we think about that solution. Yeah, and maybe that's what he's getting at here is that, you know, maybe Brown really is the best case scenario and unless you do want to make a crazy trade for Laramie Tunsil because no one wants a rookie protecting Mahomes' blind side um, unless you get one of the top picks. Uh, but, you know, Chiefs aren't in that position. Right. And and you have two offensive tackles that you have to worry about. So maybe I mentioned the right tackle free agency class being one thing. I mentioned, you know, maybe they just they don't want to have to do over both, right? So maybe they work on the right tackle while they just keep the left tackle as is, that kind of thing. You and know? they did trade assets for Brown. And so they're not going to be in right. a hurry 
to go trade more assets for another player to, to replace him. It's just, there's not that many great options out there. I'm not sure Tunzel is available. If he is, you're right. It's going to cost a fortune. And they've, they've got some money invested and some picks invested in Brown already. And if they really felt like he was a complete and total failure, I think they would eat that cost and move on. But I'm just not convinced that they feel that way. Uh, and, and we'll just have to wait and see how that goes. Uh, let's get on to the rest of this Chiefs season as we wrap up here. KS Chaser uh, asked, are we panicking about really over uh, – uh, not much to panic about <laughs> other than the pass rush, he says. Uh, do you think the, the concerns of, of the fan base are overblown considering this team is now you know 11-3 and three and in position to – to have a shot at the one seed still going into down the stretch. Yeah, this whole show we've talked in in a perspective as hey, you know, this team, we know they can win the Super Bowl. We know they that's the, their expectation, that's what our expectation should be. But when you back out, you you, you look at the big picture, you, you know, you you really zoom out of this. You know, it, it is kind of funny to be panicking about, you know, the team in a good position to maybe get the one seed with the Bengals and Bills still to play. Um we'll talk about that but before the season with all the youth on this defense, all the inexperience on this defense, all the new players on this defense combined with all the new players on the offense and all the chemistry issues that were potentially there with the receiving core. And, you know, uh, you know, again, the offensive line issue with the, the tackles. I mean, I think people kind of had issue, you know, no one was super confident in Brown or Wiley before the season. I wouldn't think maybe the confidence right. is just lowered a little bit. So when you put all that into perspective, to be in this position is pretty amazing, especially when you consider the fact that we all thought the Chiefs were going to have maybe the hardest schedule in NFL history. And mm. they have had a pretty tough schedule. I, I do think some of the teams we thought would be hard weren't as tough, but some of the teams that were bad turned out to, you know, be tougher. So, yeah, I, I do think we're, we're probably, you know, panic is probably not what anyone should be doing. Panic is not the right word. It's more just evaluating whether this team is better than years past. But panic is not what anyone should be doing. So if anyone's really panicking, then they're not. And then that's a little unnecessary, probably. Patrick, take me home on Twitter. Asked, what will make the Chiefs, if anything, choke in the playoffs? So, what specifically should we be worried about causing the Chiefs to have an early exit from the playoffs? I'm going to say it again: it's turnovers and penalties. If this team doesn't shoot themselves in the foot, they win, and they win the Super Bowl. You know, pass rush and playmakers on the defense and all of these other things that they might be lacking. None of that really matters if they play clean football, don't turn the ball over and, and don't have drive extending penalties on defense. In my opinion, nothing else is going to stop them from winning. So, yeah, I, I, that is, I think the the right answer, but I'll, I'll go a little more specific here just to kind of be a little different. And, and I do think the one thing that really, that really could happen that we've seen happen that has actually led in, in some ways to a loss this year is Mahomes, you know, trying to do everything himself. And I think that actually happened in maybe the, even the AFC championship game last year, right? We all know. And, and I think if he can continue to trust the weapons he has to trust the depth of the receiving core, he has from the backup tight ends to the backup receivers, you know, we're getting Tony back into the mix. McCole Hardman will be off IR soon. If we can have a, that, that full cupboard, even the running backs, right? I mean, Jerick McKinnon, obviously, you know, emerging as a pass uh, pass weapon, obviously. All that to say, yeah, I, I think if 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 Mahomes 
kind of goes back into that mode where we kind of saw in the Bengals game where he's not throwing many yak opportunities. He's trying to make everything happen with his arm and, and getting it in the windows rather than just maybe, hey, sometimes I just got to dump it off, let them make the play themselves and, and move on. I think if, if, if he kind of does get back into that mode, then that's where the Chiefs could maybe you know falter a little bit. But if he can trust the receivers, the depth of the receiving core, and trust everyone on the team and, and stay within the rhythm of the offense, you know, I, I think that, that will make the difference uh, in the playoffs. I, I think that's right because it goes right back to the same thing. If Mahomes is pushing and is not trusting his line, right. that's when he ends up turning the ball over, right? So, so yeah, there those things are related a little bit because if Mahomes is Mahomes and he doesn't, he's not going to be turning the ball over and he's going to be winning the game for them. Uh, if, if it's if he's pressing, if he's not getting help, if he's trying to do the the 2020 Super Bowl, you know, against uh, Tampa Bay situation, then they're going to be in trouble. Carl Bailey asked, should we be the most confident fans for a Super Bowl win? If not, what fan base would be? I mean, out of all the NFL teams, I guess it's the Eagles, right? Uh, They're having the best year and they've done it not that long ago. I know it's a new coach, but They'd have a lot of that same core players. You know, some of those veterans were there that the last time Jason Kelsey was there, some of the offensive linemen, Fletcher Cox, um, you know, so they have a really good team. So I, if I'm an, if I'm an Eagles fan, I'm feeling really good, especially with the NFC kind of, you know, not looking great. Uh, I, it's got, I, I'd say the Eagles would be the only team I would say, because in the AFC, no team has done it besides the Chiefs. And so I don't think any fan base should have the same level of confidence that the Chiefs fans could have. Should have. Yeah, I think a lot of people would say Buffalo here, but I, I think there's right. been enough – they've been exposed a little bit for, you know, for some weaknesses here and there. And I, I think that's a really good team. And I think they probably have, I would argue maybe that the chiefs and bills probably have the same, should have the same outlook at this point. Maybe the chiefs may be a little bit better, but, but similar. And yeah, but the, the Eagles are a very complete team and well-balanced and obviously have been playing uh, ridiculously good football all year long. So their fan base is probably very, very confident. Uh, I'm not sure that that team has been tested in a way that would make the fans doubt, um, you know, their their confidence. And so maybe that's something that you see. Sometimes you see these teams have fantastic regular seasons and falter in the postseason when things get, get challenging. So we'll see if that happens to that team. But, yeah, I would assume the highest confident level, if you took a poll, would be amongst Eagles fans right now. Yeah, that makes sense, right? I yeah, I, I just say with the Chiefs fans, I think you're right. I think the Bills and Chiefs as teams should probably have equal outlooks, or maybe even the Bills maybe have a you know more continuity, all that. But in terms of fan confidence, you know, think about if the Chiefs didn't win that Super Bowl and and the level of confidence you would have, right? I, I do think getting that ring, getting over that hump with the same team, same head coach, same quarterback, you know, I just do think. Fan wise, you got to have more confidence. And, and if you don't have that ring, you have maybe, you know, you can say you have, you know, all this confidence, but there's always in that back of your mind, like, oh, sh-, you know, we haven't done it yet. And, and yeah. uh, as Chiefs fans, we know that feeling very well. And it is going to be a rough offseason if they don't win the Super Bowl because you're going to start looking back and saying, man, they're, they've gone through the, the, some of the best years that Mahomes has and not a lot uh, of rings to show for it. So, you know, I, I'm not going to start putting my head in that space yet, but <laughs> I, it would be quite, it's going to be quite a rough offseason perspective wise if it doesn't work out uh, the way we hope. 
But speaking of things working out the way we hope or not, I, I, I was messing around with ESPN's playoff machine, trying to get an idea of some potential matchups that the Chiefs could face in the playoffs. And it's either way, it's not going to be easy, but right. there's some interesting games down the stretch in the regular season that could make a big difference. Number one, that week 17 matchup between Buffalo and Cincinnati, yes. uh, that's going to be a big one. That could decide the one seed uh, and could really you know, mix up the uh, the seeding for, for the down the bracket a little bit. There's also week 18, Dolphins and Jets, if things work out the way I think they could, that might be for the, the division, uh, which is just insane to talk about in historical terms for that division. Uh, so there's some really interesting um, – there's Dolphins, some really interesting – Dolphins, Jets there. wouldn't be for the division. It'd be for the wild card. Right. right? My bad. Yep. Yeah. Dolphins, Jets for the wild card, but that last playoff spot, uh, it, yes. it's going to make a, a big difference, and, and it really – could go either way. You, you assume that the Dolphins would would take that, but they have the ability to uh, to lose a couple of games and then uh, and then beat the Jets at the end and still get in the playoffs. But the three scenarios I came up with: one, nothing changes; everything goes exactly as we think it's going to, or as it has so far. The Chiefs get the two seed. They play the Dolphins on Wild Card Weekend. And then the Bengals, probably, if they win uh, to where we think they might be. And then if the Chiefs beat the Bengals, then they go on to play the Bills in the AFC Championship. Again, all hypotheticals here, but the, if the path to the Super Bowl means going through the other three best teams in the AFC in <laughs> succession, um, that's going to be rough. Uh, you got to really be rooting for the Chiefs to get the one seed because if the Chiefs get the one seed, which means the the – the Bills lose at least one more and the Chiefs win out. Then the Chiefs will play the winner of, for example, the Chargers versus the Jags. Mm -hmm. And then they would play uh, either the, the Bills and Bengals would probably play in the second round and the Chiefs would get the winner in the AFC Championship game. Uh, that's a decisively better uh, outcome because you're knocking out one of the two best teams that are left on the schedule with the Bills and Bengals playing each other. The Chiefs have a, a winnable round one matchup, and then uh, the, the AFC title game is is what it is. There's one other scenario I came up with. Uh, if the Bills retain the number one seed, there is a way that the Chiefs might play the Dolphins in the first round, and then the winner of the Chargers and the Titans, depending on how that works out, uh, that might be – a, a pretty easy path to get to the AFC title game, but that would be played in Buffalo uh, in that scenario, right. which would be uh, an interesting uh, potential matchup and, and weather uh, coming into play there as well. So of those three scenarios, uh, do you have a strong preference or you, what are your thoughts on those potential outcomes? Right. Well, you know, the preference, you, you mentioned what the preference would be. I mean, it's obviously getting the one seed so you avoid that second round matchup with a two or the three seed, which are going to be the Bengals and Bills. If we are the one seed, there's no other real way it could go, honestly, unless the, the Bengals really drop off and the Ravens somehow come back and win that division. But that's the thing with the Ravens. As much as I kind of before I looked into this was like, oh, they're going to drop off. Lamar's hurt. Even if he does go back for the last few games, maybe, you know, they, they, they're kind of, you know, they're kind of downtrending. Well, they have a pretty easy schedule the next two weeks, both games at home against Atlanta and Pittsburgh, both teams that are kind of, you know, waffling. Those division games are always tight. So, you know, Pittsburgh maybe has a good chance there, but 
you know, they do already have a edge up on the other wildcard teams in terms of record. So I could see the Ravens, you know, kind of, you know, keep holding steady and keeping that five seed. But the Chargers are in a similar boat, man. The Chargers have three easy games left, in my opinion, at Indy, Rams, and at Denver. They're winning out, in my opinion. And so if the Ravens and who would lose to Indy this season and who would have any trouble with Denver? Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Can't imagine that. <laughs> well, that, that's the thing is, is I, I, Indy, you know, they're, they're blowing that 33, nothing lead. I, I can't imagine there's going to be much effort in that game. So I think chargers are going to end up with an 11, six record as crazy as that sounds a few weeks ago. Maybe no one even thought they were a playoff team. And so when you have the Ravens and chargers, both in that wild card mix, it really does only leave you, the Dolphins and the Jets, like you mentioned, kind of maybe on that last weekend of the wild or the regular season. And man, wouldn't it be cool if the Jets knocked off the Dolphins? Because, you know, as much as the Jets defense is very good and they are, they have really good playmakers. They have uh, really good cornerbacks. You know, I they have Mike White or Zach Wilson as their quarterback. Like, let's let's get them in the playoffs. Come on, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I do think they have a tough schedule, though. They play Jacksonville at Seattle and then at Miami. So. They may not even be in it by the time that Miami game rolls around, depending on it. But ideally, yeah, ideally, we, we're all Jets fans and rooting for them to kind of take out the Dolphins because the Dolphins have Green Bay at New England and then Jets. That's not easy necessarily. Um, but... and, and I think they probably need to only win one of those to make the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. So they, it's really going to be uh, it's going to be tough there. We're all going to be Patriots fans for the uh, for the remainder of the regular season. Yeah. I don't see a scenario where the Patriots necessarily make the playoffs, but I saw a lot of scenarios where they could knock knock off the Bills, the Bengals, uh, or the Dolphins because I think that's the three yeah. teams left on their schedule. You're right. Yeah, yeah. They play home Cincinnati, home Miami, and then at Buffalo. So if you know that's a great you know if if they can win this week, you know Cincinnati, then the Chiefs are feeling good. Although, yeah, I mean I guess you want the Bengals to beat Buffalo, but it doesn't matter if they win anymore or not. Um, as long as the Chiefs keep winning. So, yeah, it's so, that big game. You mentioned it, week 16 or week 17, I should say. So Bills can the Bengals. Patriots come back from that disheartening loss with oh. Mac Jones being stiff-armed by Chandler Jones in a uh, on a ridiculous play as time expired in, in regulation? Can they come back from that and, and play spoiler and help the Chiefs out like the Fitzpatrick-led Dolphins did a few <laughs> a few years back? Yeah, and I love your uh, – you got the Jags, you know, giving give the Jags a lot of credit because, you know, they play at New York Jets, at Houston, and then against Tennessee at home. That could be the division, like you're saying. And Tennessee actually plays Houston at home, which we know they're scrappy, um, Dallas at home, and then has that Jacksonville game. So you're right, man. That, that Jacksonville all of a sudden looks like they could be in that four spot, which, you know, hey, Dougie P, he's won a Super Bowl. Trevor Lawrence is playing really well. They're not necessarily the – the, the the easiest team to play in the playoffs, I would say, but you know they're probably more. Uh, you'd probably rather see them than some of the other teams we've talked about. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if it comes down to the Chiefs in the one seed and then uh, the Chargers and the Jags playing the first right. round and the Chiefs getting the winner of that game. Which would you rather face, Justin Herbert in his first playoff experience or Trevor Lawrence the way he's playing right now? So a lot of fun scenarios here. A lot can change over the next three weeks, but wanted to give you guys a quick preview of that. Uh, any final thoughts on the Seahawks before we get out of here? Uh, this this upcoming game uh, uh, against Seattle, who's a kind of a tough team to get a handle on this year. 
Yeah, you know, it's on Christmas Eve. Merry Christmas, everybody. You know, we're 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 too we're too football focused here. You know, we 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 don't got the we don't have the Christmas segments for you as other shows may. But uh, no, uh, Christmas Eve. You know, it's gonna be really cold. That's one thing. It's supposed to be like ten degrees during game time. Um, something crazy. So you got to factor that in. Might see a lot of Pacheco. Might see a lot of Ronald Jones against the Seattle defense that has really fallen off in recent weeks. Man, they they gave up forty to the Raiders not too long ago. You know, uh, Niners kind of had their way with them, even if they scored 21 the other day. Um, yeah, the, the the Seahawks defense, they were a bunch of rookies that were playing really well at one point, and now the rookie youth is starting to show a little bit. I expect the Chiefs offense to kind of do what they need to do in this game. On the on the defensive side of the ball, though, you're, you're facing two rookie offensive tackles. They're both playing well, but let's get some pressure, boys. Let's get some pressure on Geno Smith. You know, the offensive line isn't that good. And his weaponry, you know, he's probably going to be missing Tyler Lockett. DK Metcalf is still there, but... You know, they don't got a lot going on on, on either side of the ball anymore. They've kind of lost their their momentum from earlier in the season. So the Chiefs need to, to kind of, you know, have another one of these games, you know, hopefully not like Houston, but we're maybe against Denver where, hey, jump out to a lead and, and, and not make it that close, but but coast because this team shouldn't shouldn't give you too much trouble. And, hey, if you look at the Chiefs' NFC record, apparently they own that conference. So uh, that's that's the other part of it. Well, we're out of time. We're going to leave it at that. We are out of structure as well. Thank you for – spending time with us make sure you rate and review catch all of the arrowhead pride podcast network and the content at arrowheadpride.com to keep you up to date on all of the happenings around chief's kingdom and the scenarios that could be happening uh, for this chief's football team uh enjoy your holidays make the most of that time with friends and family and watching this chief's football team hopefully put up another win against seattle and get on towards the playoffs For Ron Cobb Jr., I'm Matt Stagner. Thanks again. We'll talk to you next week.